Mark chapter number 11, I want to take just a few moments of your time tonight, and I want to give you four thoughts out of this passage of Scripture. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye to the, that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door without, in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto him, unto them, even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus, and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees, and strawed them in the way. And they went before, they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. I pray that as we approach this passage, we do so in a spirit and attitude of self-examination. Lord, not that we'd look around to those that are around us, not, Lord, that we would look uh, in our in our mind's eye towards those that aren't even here tonight, but, Father, that we would examine our own selves and ask ourselves, what of these truths can apply to us? What of our life do we need to yield more to you? Now, Lord, I trust that we've come to do business tonight, and we trust and know that your presence is here to do business in our lives as well. So may those two realities meet together in a life-changing way, and we'll be sure to give you the praise for for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you for a few moments tonight on this colt, this young donkey, that the Bible points to as being the vehicle by which the Lord Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Uh, I'm very interested in what the Bible says about this uh, this colt in verse number 3. The Lord Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples that when they go and find this colt where Jesus said that he would be, and they begin to untie him, that there's going to be people there that are going to ask what they're doing, being that that's not their colt. I'll I, I tell you, you could, you could uh, do a short, simple exercise. If you were to go downtown where they've got cars parked up and down the street and start trying to jimmy into one of them cars very likely someone will walk up and ask what you're doing. And this is a very similar thing that's going on. These two people walk up, they begin to untie this colt, and uh, the Lord Jesus said, when they ask you what you're doing, you tell them this, that the Lord hath need of him. The Lord hath need of him. In other words, God had a purpose, had a reason, had a use for this donkey before the world ever began, providentially, divinely foreordained, set forth in the wisdom and counsels of God. And now the moment has finally arrived for this donkey to be put into the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happens exactly as God said it would, because God had a need to use him. Now, let me tell you tonight that God has a desire and a need to use you and me as well. He doesn't save anybody for him just to sit. He saves every one of us for us to serve. We're not living to the potential that we have, and we're not living to the purpose for which God saved us unless we're actively serving the Lord. I, I would dare say this, that oftentimes we'll say things in life like, well, not everybody can serve in the same way. That's true, by the way. 
There are certain things God's called me to do He ain't called you to do, and vice versa. There are certain things God has equipped you to do that He's not equipped me to do, and there's no question about that. But we better be very careful, because I feel like a lot of times we use that as an excuse uh, to do nothing. We'll say, well, we can't all do the same thing, and then we turn around and do nothing. And the fact is, God hasn't called any of us to do nothing. We're all called to be in His service. We are all called to live for Him. The Lord hath need of every single one of us. Now, I would remind you that this statement is not necessarily a, a an absolute statement of exclusivity. When the Bible says the Lord hath need of Him, it is true that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I bet that He owns the donkeys too. It's true that the Lord could have used any donkey in the world for this purpose. It's also true that God had a need for this donkey to fill. And it is true that God can use anybody. It is true that if you and I won't step into the place of service, very likely God has plenty of people that He could empower and call and equip to be able to be used in that manner. But we've got our priorities all sorts of sideways when we would prefer that to be able to abstain from serving the Lord, even if it means forfeiting the blessing. We would also, I think, be very, very nearsighted and very, very foolish to believe that just because the Lord can use anybody, that there's not a particular calling and work for you and I to do that in the will of God will work out the best for us and for the service of the Lord. In other words, it's true the Lord can use anybody. It's also true He wants to use you. And it's true that He can raise somebody else up. But it's also true that there's a, there's a task for you and I, distinctive to you and I, and there are very real consequences if we drop the ball, if we are unwilling to serve the Lord. I want to preach to you tonight on this simple thought, what it takes to be a donkey. Or not just any donkey, this donkey, if we want to be real specific about it. And I want to notice four things that it took for God to use this beast of burden. And I believe it's the same four things it's going to take for y'all looking at each other back there. I can, y'all stop that nonsense now. Everybody pointing at each other now. Four things that I believe are going to have to be present in my life for God to use me. And four things that are going to have to be in your life for God to use you. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, if you don't want God to use you, I can't help you. If you don't have no want to, if you don't have no desire, if it doesn't bother you to be out of the will of God, then I can't help you. But if you desire to do and to know the will of God and to be in the will of God, then I believe these four things have to be present in your life for the Lord to use you. And I want you to think about them with me tonight. Let me give you the first one this, e- this evening. Number one, let me say that there had to be faithfulness exhibited by this donkey. Now, some of these things we're going to say, there's going to be a little bit of overlap. And I'll go ahead and acknowledge that. But I want you to consider two simple thoughts about the faithfulness that was needed. Uh, First, let me say that this donkey had to be present to be used by the Lord. Uh, The instructions the Lord Jesus gives are very, very clear. In verse number 2, he says, Go your way into the village over against you. Now, very likely he's talking about Bethany. Uh, Bethphage was really just a a portion of the city of Jerusalem. It was within the walls. Uh, And then beside Bethphage was the Mount of Olives. Then on the other side of the Mount of Olives was Bethany. And as they're traveling to Jerusalem, he can't be talking about Jerusalem because they're not there yet. He's going to ride into Jerusalem. He can't really be talking about Bethphage because That's in the city walls of Jerusalem. Can't be talking about the Mount of Olives because the Mount of Olives is a geographical feature. It's not a village. But now when we look through these names, Bethany, of course, 
is a village. And very likely he's talking about the, the little village of Beth, Bethany. And he says, go your way into the village over against you. And he says, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied. Now, lest we think this is just an educated guess on behalf of the Savior, he says, whereon never man sat, loose him and bring him. So he's not talking about just any donkey, but he's talking about a specific donkey that will be in a specific place. In fact, the Bible says in verse number 4, they went uh, their way and found the colt, not a colt, they found the colt tied by the door, not by a door, but by the door, without in a place where two ways met and they loosened. So in other words, this donkey had to be in a certain place if it was to be used of the Lord. Uh, Let me just mention two things. Number one, this donkey had to be in the way had to be in the way that God had foreordained and predetermined. There was a waiting place. It had to be in the place where the disciples were going to be, were going to arrive. It had to be in the place where it could be found. And I jotted this statement down. It had to be in the place of service. I'll tell you this right now. uh, There's a lot of folks in the world today that ain't never going to serve God because they're never in any place where serving God goes on. Uh, Listen, I'm not against recliners. I've got a few of them in my house, but you ain't going to serve God sitting on the recliner at home. Now, I promise you, I ain't here to fuss at the Sunday morning crowd. I know they ain't here. And I know the Wednesday night crowd, there's a lot of places you could be. But the truth applies just the same, which is this. We've got to be in the house of God, in the place where the service of God is going on. Uh, There ain't no absentee ballots when it comes to serving God. You're either there or you ain't there. Now, I know you're going to say, oh, but preacher, what about the little old widow woman? What about the shut-in? Are you one of them? You're here tonight. I trust that's because God's given you health enough uh, to be able to get up off of the couch. He's given you a mind enough to be able to navigate here. He's given you a vehicle that could get you here. You're here because you're not in that situation. So don't look at people that ain't in your situation and try to use the exception to disprove the rule. Because you and I both know all the exception does is prove the rule. If there are exceptions, and sure there are, I could give you a list of shut-ins, people that can't get out, people that are infirmed and bound to their beds. But I ain't preaching to them tonight, I'm preaching to us tonight. And you've got to be present, you've got to be in the place where the work of God is going on. And uh, that's one of the things, sadly, that's happened in a lot of churches, a lot of places. They've become merely, uh, merely spectator seats for preaching instead of a body of believers laboring and endeavoring together to do and to, and to accomplish the will and the work of God. And they've just become events that transpire on Sunday mornings and nothing more. So a lot of churches doing away with everything except Sunday morning service. Because they know they can bolster their numbers doing that. And everybody comes and everybody whoops, everybody hollers, everybody shouts and they all go home. They don't see each other again for another week. And they're not being the body of Christ in the church and they're not laboring and they're not serving and they're not working together and they're not having to do the hard work of being of one mind and, and laboring together. Because it's merely an event and a spectator sport and nothing else. You've got to be present in the place of service. But then let me say this. Not only do we have to be in the way, we have to be in the will of God. In other words, this donkey had to be willing to be used. We understand the donkey is tied there and we'll say a word about that here in a moment. But it's not enough just to be in the house of God. We've got to be in, in not just in the place of service, but we have to participate in service. 
there's listen, there's a lot of folks that want that spectator relationship when it comes to the local church. And I understand why, because it's easy. And a lot of times just being present alleviates our conscience and we don't have to feel bad. Uh, we feel like we're, we're uh, you know, a part of something. But the fact is, it's not just enough to be present. We have to be active. We have to be helping. We have to be laboring. We have to be serving. We have to be participating. Otherwise, all we are is just riding the bench in the service of God. I, I found this to, for a lot of years, I didn't really watch much, uh, much football, but I've got the past few years into watching a lot of football. Some of y'all have been watching it for years, no doubt, and you know about all these things. But I used to always wonder, I'd watch Texas A&M play. I never cared about Texas A&M until they stuck him in the SEC. There ain't nothing southeastern about College Station, Texas, but here they are. Because it's all politics. There ain't nothing southeastern about Missouri either, but they're in the SEC now. But I would watch, you know, I started watching some A&M football because it affected the SEC. And, and I always wondered, man, everybody's sitting around talking about the 12th man. And I was always thinking, I, was, I didn't think they was allowed to have 12 men out there. And I was thinking, and they'd, they, they'd talk about the 12th man, they'd show somebody on the screen, I'd go, well, I guess he's the 12th man. And then I noticed the next year they, it, they'd be talking about, they'd show somebody else. I was thinking, who is this mysterious 12th man? If you know the history of it and the story behind it, you know that there was a uh, fellow that had been on the team, Texas A&M, this way back, I believe, in the 50s. And uh, he had, uh, I believe, I, I think he had either been injured or he was so far down the roster. Some of you A&M fans can probably give me the, the right story on this. But they were playing in a game, and he didn't even suit up. He was there, he was present at the game, but he didn't even suit up because there was just no way he was going to wind up playing. And as the game ensued, back when football was still football, and uh, and, and it wasn't just a, a well, i got to be careful, I'll start preaching on football. But anyway, injuries started happening. And so person after person after person after person got injured. And as he saw people getting injured, he thought, man, I, I'm, I'm liable to be called in. And so he goes and he suits up and he stands on the sideline. Now, I may have this a little incorrect. You come up to me, fuss at me, correct me, cuss me if you want at the end. But my understanding is he never even actually went in and played. But he just suited up. He stood on the sideline as a show of moral support and to let them know, hey, I'm there. And so to this day at College Station, and this, I'll be honest with you, I'm lazy enough that this would keep me from going to Texas A&M. The, the whole student section will stand throughout the duration of an entire game. And they are the 12th man. And listen, that's very beautiful. That's very poignant. That's very touching. That's very inspiring. It's also very stupid. Because the idea being they're standing there, but they ain't doing nothing. You know our problem nowadays, we got churches full of 12th men. People that want to stand, they want to amen, they like seeing it done. But they don't ever want to get out on the field and do it. Now listen, I didn't come here not to fuss at you, but merely to make this simple point that we've got to be present if we're going to be participating. The reason this donkey was used was because it was where God commanded and instructed it to be and it was willing to serve. Let me give you a second thought along this line. Not only must we be present, we must be patient. We don't know how long this donkey was tied up waiting, waiting for the disciples to come by. And here it stands in the middle of the street, not in the middle, but but next to the street. The Bible says it's a place where two ways met. Now, this is an untamed beast. Never a man has sat on it. It is unbroken. It has not been trained. It has not been tamed. But it's just sitting there tied up. I would venture this 
statement that it probably would have been easy to grow impatient, waiting on the right person to walk by, to loose him, and to lead him to the Savior. The fact is, part of faithfulness is patience. Sometimes, here's what a lot of people want to do. They, they, they get, uh, you know, lathered up about the idea of serving God and they want to go out and charge hell with a water pistol. And then when they find out that very often serving God means waiting on the Lord's direction and leading and guidance. And very often it means serving Him in some way that is not the manifestation of our great dreams of glory and accolades. All of a sudden they get impatient and they leave. Let me give you two simple thoughts about this. We've got to be patient when we are chafing. I'm sure that young donkey was, was pulling against that rope. I'm sure it was, it was trying to get loose and, and, and busting to go and just one, it was probably a very unpleasant thing for it to have to just sit there and wait for the right moment. But the fact is, sometimes in serving God, one of the hardest things to do is to wait on Him and His timing. Very often we will yield to God's plan, but we struggle yielding to His timing. I would say when we're chafing, then notice this thought. I think we have to be patient when we have choices. Only Mark's gospel mentions that he was found in a place where two ways met. But I don't think that's insignificant. God didn't have to give us that detail. And and when we're talking about the imagery of, of, of what's going on here in the application, there's a lot of things we could say about the choices that we make in life, about crisis moments, about yielding ourselves to the will of God. But suffice it to say that day in and day out, however long this donkey stood here, he was constantly presented with two, at least two, paths of escape. He was constantly being presented with people walking by, utilizing those paths, walking off. I would say this, that probably it would not have been unthinkable for him to bust that rope and to take off running. But it was not time yet. You know, one of the most dangerous... There's two times in the life of the believer as it relates to the will of God when when it is dangerous. When, when it is, we are particularly susceptible and vulnerable to making a mistake. One is when we feel we have no choices. But even more dangerous than that is when we feel like we've got a, a plurality of choices. When we feel as though we, we just merely can take whatever path suits us. When we are chafing under the, the circumstances and the situations. When we're looking for a way out. I've learned this in... Uh, going on nine years of pastoring, that when folks get it in their mind to find a way out, they will find a way out. It's astounding to me, and I can tell you story after story after story after story. But how often I have seen people tolerate <laughs> and be patient with all manner of things in the house of God. Things not being exactly to their liking, maybe people trampling on their feelings or people intruding upon whatever their preferences are. And I've seen people bear it and endure it with a right spirit and be gracious and be loving and be spiritual about it and be faithful. But then I've seen those very same people when something happened that crosses a line, when some unspoken rule is broken, all of a sudden begin to nitpick every single little thing that they can find wrong with the church. I mean, I'm talking about people that, that have suffered being lied about, but then when they make their mind up that they want to go, all of a sudden they got a problem with the color of the carpet. 
all of a sudden they got a problem with uh, some person uh, with a Sunday school class or, or, or something with the nursery or something with this or something with that. When you get leaving on your mind, you will, you will make your mind up. You will find some reason. Oftentimes, the hardest thing is to do nothing and to serve the Lord while we wait on Him to instruct us. It requires faithfulness. Let me give you a second thing tonight. Not only does it require faithfulness, it requires selflessness. There were three things that were directly contrary to this animal's nature that had to transpire if this donkey was going to be used to the Lord. Number one, he had to be bound against his nature. The reason they had to tie this donkey up was because he would not have stayed there otherwise. You know, the fact is, God puts boundaries in our life not because He just enjoys exerting power, but because they are for our good. In other words, God God ties us up because we'll run off if He doesn't. And if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to recognize that there are times in life when the Word of God is going to have to guide you and instruct you and, 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 and move you and corral you into the right place and sometimes even tie you to a post to get you from doing the wrong thing. There are times that we have to be bound against our nature. Number two, he had to be brought against his nature. The Lord said, loose him and bring him. Now, it's interesting to me because, you know, I think to myself, how did anyone handle this animal? It's not tame. No man's ever sat on the thing. How did, how did they even handle this thing? I mean, it's a colt. It's young. It's not huge. But it's still an animal and for all practical intents and purposes, a wild animal. How did they? Very likely, this animal had an owner. And that owner probably had some degree of influence and authority and control over this beast. But whoever that owner was, it was not the disciples. The disciples that come up to this animal are complete strangers. They do not know this animal. This animal has no reason to trust them whatsoever. And yet when they take the rope and begin to walk away, the animal merely follows. Just follows. It was not in his nature to follow but sometimes if the job's going to get done, you have to do what's against your nature. You have to mortify self, you have to deny self, and you have to be willing to follow the truth of the Word of God, even when it is against and contrary to your nature. Not only that, but it had to bear up against his nature. Whenever they get this animal to Jesus, they pile their clothes on it, and never a man has sat on this animal, but one's about to. Now, it's funny, we, I believe this donkey was providential, but I don't believe it was supernatural. I don't believe this was some angel donkey. Amen? I believe this was just a donkey that God had put in the path and had put in the way. And I recognize that whenever Christ uh, sat aloft of this animal, He is the Creator sitting on His creation. And I understand that there was no risk of anything ever being out of control. But let me just remind you, the Bible goes out of its way to tell us that this was not a tame beast. This was a beast that no man had ever sat upon. And why would we think for one moment that this was a natural, easy process for this animal? It had never carried anyone, but now it's going to carry someone. I can't tell you the times I've heard people say in ministry, well, preacher, that's just not my calling. 
I remember one time somebody said that to me, and I, I can't remember what the exact context was. I was asking them if they'd do something, and, and what it really was was they just didn't want to. And I'll be honest, I would a lot rather hear, I don't want to, than hear nonsense like, well, I don't know if that's my calling. Listen, there are some things in life that you need to be called to do. I, I believe for a person to to uh, invest their life in the preaching of the Word of God, I, I'm talking about, I don't just mean fill a pulpit occasionally, but I mean their life to be invested in, in the ministry, I believe they have to be called of God. I believe probably for someone to go to a mission field, go to a foreign field, believe everything, they, they I believe they probably have to be called of God. Uh, but there's some things you ain't got to be called of God for. You ain't got to be called of God to watch the nursery. Somebody amen me. Hey, you ain't, you ain't got to be called of God to fill in in some place. You ain't got to be called of God to change a trash can. You, you ain't, you ain't got to be called of God to uh, go, you know, uh, ch- help somebody change a tire, whatever it might be. I'm saying there's a lot of stuff that we try to over-spiritualize. And while we're over-spiritualizing it, God's looking for another donkey. Again, I'm not dismissing the calling of God. I feel the very definite calling of God in my life about ministry, about pastoring and preaching. But in whoever it was that I was talking to at this time, if you're in this room, at least just trust that I'm forgetful enough that I'm not uh, mentioning whoever you are, because I don't know who you are. This was years ago, but I'd asked him to do something, and they said, well, it's not my calling. And man, that just flew all over me. And I said, what if I asked you to change the garbage? And they said, well, I'd change the garbage. I said, you wouldn't have to pray about it? They said, no. You wouldn't have to find out from God if it was your calling? They said, no. I said, you'd just change the garbage, wouldn't you? They said, yeah. I said, well, this is changing the garbage. You ain't got to pray about this thing. You're being asked to do it. You have opportunity to do it. And so just do it. The fact of the matter is, there's a lot of things, and I can't tell you the number of times people have said to me, well, preacher, I'm just, I'm not called to do that. I'm not equipped to do that. I'm not this and that. And I, I, that, that may be true in some circumstances, but I think a lot of times that ain't nothing but a nice way of saying, I just don't want to. I just simply don't want to. And I'd remind you of this, that very often it is the very people who seem the least qualified, the least capable, the least equipped that God uses in those avenues. I'll tell you right now, if you were to get together a resume of who would make a good preacher, I wouldn't have very much to put on it. If you were to put together a resume of who would be, what would make a a pastor, I wouldn't have very much to put on it. But listen, God calls the small things, the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. And the fact is, sometimes in serving God, you're going to have to do things that are contrary to your natural nature and inclination. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that you don't feel you're equipped for. Sometimes God's going to ask you to do things that you think you are not capable of, just so that He can show you how capable He is to equip you. We've got to be selfless. It ain't about us. Let me give you a third thing. I I believe there had to be some contentedness with this donkey. Uh, whenever this donkey shows up, I don't know, I, 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 I don't understand. A lot of people think that animals are a lot smarter than I think they are, and probably they're a lot smarter than I am. I don't know what level of sentience and, and intelligence a donkey has. I know that they're smart enough to not listen to us. But I don't know if this donkey was thinking anything as they were bringing it to Jesus. But if we're going to make an application here, I just jotted this down. This donkey was called to serve, not to storm into battle. 
wasn't called to do anything glamorous, was called merely to serve. When we can grow contented with serving, serving God, it's simply being enough for God to be using us, then we found one of the great keys to contentment. We need to grow contented with the ministry, with serving. Ministry is ministry. Ministry is ministry. When are we going to get it in our minds that it's not a thing about us, it's not about glory, it's not about our preferences, it's not about us living out whatever our desires or fantasy of what service should look like and should be. Rather, it is merely us filling the need that God has placed in front of us. Saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll be willing to do. I'll tell you a little secret about me as a pastor. We make a lot of visits around here, uh, especially when folks visit our church. We always make sure, do our best to be at their door uh, within a few days afterwards and tell them how much we appreciate them. And I have learned in, in the few years of pastoring that I've pastored that if somebody starts talking to me about what ministry they want to serve in at that first visit, nine times out of ten, they have no interest in being a part of a church. They're looking for a channel, for an avenue of them living out what ministry they desire to do, not rather serving in whatever capacity that God has called them to. I've had people that I've gone to and I've talked to, hey, listen, we enjoyed having you at church. Hope it was a blessing to you or a blessing to us. And them say, preacher, do y'all have anything like a homeless ministry down there at church? Because I was involved with that at my last church and I'd love to be involved in that again. And I'm very often thinking to myself, well, it must not done much for you or you'd be at your last church running the homeless ministry. Hey, listen, that's all right. Me and Corey will shout about that. We're here on a Wednesday night. You ain't got to be nervous. I'm just saying that most of the time when people come into it with this, with this mindset of what ministry can I live out rather than saying, hey, I'm here to serve. I'm here to meet a need. I'm here to do whatever God calls me and allows me and permits me and enables me to do. Then very often the problem is they're not submitted to the master, they're submitted to the ministry. And until you become submitted to the master, you're not going to be used in ministry. A lot of preachers have made shipwreck through the years by surrendering to the ministry instead of to the master. And then when ministry didn't turn out the way they anticipated it would, they give up and give out. And the same thing's true for a lot of church members too. They were happy to do some niche job. And as long as they could do that, they were contented. But the moment that the circumstances around that changed, they were gone, they were out. Because it wasn't the master that they were surrendered to, it was the ministry. We need to be contented with whatever ministry God has put before us. And then with the manner of ministry. And again, I told you there would be a little overlap, but I just jotted this down, I want you to hear it. He carried the Lord by first carrying the burdens, the clothes... Of others. Now, again, I don't think this animal necessarily understood everything that was transpiring. But if we're, if we're making application of this, if I was the donkey, you can imagine that, right? If I was the donkey, and here I am, and I'm, they're, they're trotting me down the street, and they're saying, man, we're taking you to Jesus, and He's going to ride on you, and, and it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be wonderful. You're going to be the most famous donkey. You're going to be more famous than Shrek. You're going to be the most famous donkey ever to live... I'd be thinking, man, this is great. And then when I pulled up next to the Savior, and I'm looking at Him, and I can't wait for Him to climb on, and then all of a sudden they start heaving clothes on me, I'd be sitting there thinking, whoa, wait a minute now. I didn't sign up for this. 
I signed up to carry him. I didn't sign up to carry y'all's stinky clothes. But the fact is, it took carrying those burdens before he could carry the master. Here's a hard truth. Very often what ministry looks like is us bearing the burdens of other people. I can't tell you how much, mainly because I'm no good with statistics, but I can't tell you how much of ministry is putting up with other people's weaknesses. Their frailties, their failures, sometimes their foolishness. And I don't mean for me necessarily as a pastor, now that is true to some degree, but I'm talking about ministry in general. There might be people in your life that you feel like are a burden. You think to yourself, man, I I don't know why God put them in my life. And you, every time the phone rings, you, man, I dread having this conversation. And God's using you to minister truth into their life. And you just see a big old pile of stinky clothes. But behind them is God saying, hey, if you'll carry them, I'll let you carry me. If you'll serve them, then I'll let you do the work of carrying me. Very often ministry does not look like what we think it will or should look like. But it's ministry just the same. When we can grow contented with whatever God calls us to do, then we'll be pleased, then we'll be satisfied. Let me give you one more thought and I'm done tonight. I think this is interesting. One of my favorite things to do, and in fact what is always my first step if I am studying in the Gospels, is I'll get out of Gospel Harmony and I'll find out if what I'm reading is found in any of the other Gospels. Now, there's three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, meaning they basically tell the same set of events, basically, uh, but they amplify each other. None of them contradict, but they amplify and expand on each other. And then the Gospel of John is unique, although there are some events that are in all four Gospels. And this event is found in Matthew and in Luke. Now, Luke's account does not give us very many details that are not found. But there is a detail in Matthew's account that I think is very interesting. Matthew, by the way, did this on several occasions. Uh, whenever Matthew tells the story of blind Bartimaeus, he tells us that there were actually two blind men crying out to Jesus. Whenever Matthew tells us the story of the maniac of Gadara, he actually reveals to us that there was not just one, but two maniacs that met Jesus that day. And whenever Matthew tells us about this narrative, this instant in the life of the Lord Jesus. Listen to what it says in Matthew 21, 2. Jesus is speaking and it says, saying unto them, Go into the village over against, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. So in other words, whenever Matthew tells the account, he doesn't say it's just a colt. He says there is a donkey and there is a colt with this donkey. This, of course, is fitting because the very prophecy that it's fulfilling in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 reads this way. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So in other words, the prophecy given was not just a colt, but a donkey and a colt. And Matthew's account tells us that there indeed was a donkey in addition to this colt. And it's a reminder to me of this. If we're going to serve the Lord, not only is it going to take faithfulness, not only is it going to take selflessness, not only is it going to take contentedness, but it's going to take meekness. Meekness for this reason. Because you probably didn't know, maybe some of you did, but I'd venture to say a good portion of you didn't know until we read it just now, that there was ever more than one donkey here. 
Most preachers, when they preach out of it, preach out of Mark's account, Luke's account, for various reasons. And in fact, there was another donkey here that for the vast majority of people is completely unknown. It's a reminder of this, that sometimes when we serve the Lord, our service is going to be ignored and overlooked. Everybody talks about the cult because Mark talks about it and Luke talks about it. But it's evident that to some degree, it must have been that the donkey, the grown donkey, had carried the Lord a certain distance and then the colt carries the Lord a certain distance. In fact, I think that probably the, the older donkey carried him first and then the colt carried him second. There's a lot of reasons for it. I believe that older donkey is representative of Israel and I believe that younger untamed donkey is probably a picture of the Gentiles in the church. But it's evident that the prophecy was that both of them would carry the Lord Jesus which means that very likely the older donkey, being the stronger of the two, carried the Lord Jesus for the vast majority of the way. And then just before they go into the city, they unsaddle that donkey, saddle up the colt, and then it's that donkey that the Lord Jesus rides in and they hear the accolades and Hosanna and blessed and all of this. In other words, one donkey did the majority of the work and the other enjoyed the majority of the fanfare. And the fact of the matter is, sometimes when you're serving God, that's going to be the case. Sometimes your faithfulness will be overlooked. It'll be ignored. It'll go just simply unnoticed. It won't even be... Oftentimes the things that people do for God, it's not that anyone's trying to ignore them or dismiss them or disregard them, but they're merely doing a work that has to be done that cannot or often is not done before the eyes of men. And if you're in this thing for people to see you and to clap and to shout and to praise you and to talk about you later on, then there's a lot of service that you're never going to be involved in. I would say this, though, of all the people that knew that this first donkey was involved, uh, nobody knew it better than the Lord Jesus because He had rode upon this donkey. Listen, there might be a lot you do for God that nobody other than God knows about. And you know what? At the end of the day, Until that's okay with you, you're going to be very, very limited in what God will use you with. The vast majority. Listen, in in this Facebook-polluted, social media-corrupted world, it's hard for us to fathom just doing something because God wants us to without having somebody there to like it or to share it or to clap about it. And that, by the way, is why there's less and less and less and less getting done for the Lord in society today is because we don't want to do something without an audience. Well, the fact is, anything we do for the Lord, we do it with an audience. And He is the most important audience. And He is the only audience that really counts at the end of the day. We need to be serving the Lord even as our faithfulness is ignored. But then number two and the last, even as our fellow laborers are advanced and we are not. I wish I could tell you that there was going to be in this life a perfect, proportionality to the effort, genuine service that is expended to the Lord and to the visible, known benefit and reward that follows. But if I told you that, I'd be lying to you. For all this distance, this donkey carried the Lord Jesus. But it was the cult that experienced all of the praise and all of the attention. Now, I don't reckon that donkey felt anyway, probably relieved that he wasn't carrying the burden anymore. 
But I know how a lot of Christians will feel. Jealous, envious, resentful over the fact that somebody else seems to be advancing when they are laboring and serving and working and they feel as though they go unnoticed. As long as that is our attitude, you know what's going to happen? God had foreordained that cult since before the world began to carry the Lord Jesus those last few miles, last few hundred yards, whatever it was, into the city. If that older donkey had said, Nope, I'm not going to play second fiddle to anyone. The Lord wouldn't have stopped the program and put him in front. He would have just found another donkey. You know, and by, this is part of the problem with a political system born out of envy and jealousy. Is because when you decide, life's unfair, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Guess what? That means it's going to be you and your ball sitting at home alone. And the same thing's true when it comes to serving the Lord. If our service for the Lord is rooted in and is driven by by animus and, and, and by envy and by covetousness, God's not going to bless bitterness. God's not going to bless jealousy. The fact is, nothing's going to change God's plan. He'll just find another donkey. Or we can take the place that God has tailor-made for us Grateful and thankful in our hearts that God has granted and blessed us with the opportunity to serve Him. And we can know that heaven takes account and record of everything that we've done for Him. I want to have these characteristics. I hope that I do. My suspicion is this, that I probably have them in some measure. But if I'm being honest, I probably need them in greater measure. I probably need to yield myself more to these truths and to ask God to fulfill and realize these things more in my life. Not so that I can be praised of men, but so that I can be used by the Master for His glory, not for my own.